Hello and welcome to All the Above. I'm James Brown. Thanks for joining me. Check out my work at jamesbrowntv.substack.com. And of course, like, share, and subscribe. It really helps the show. Today, we speak with Adam Frank. He's an astrophysicist from the University of Rochester. He's a leading expert on how stars form and, well, die, as well as civilizations before humans. He's appeared in media for decades, writing for Scientific American, NPR, The New York Times, and recently The Atlantic. Have I left anyone, anybody out, uh, Adam? Uh, th- those are the main ones. There's others, but, you know, the Post. I've done stuff for The Washington Post and other places, but it's all good. Okay, awesome. He's also an author of several books, including one I'm very, very curious about called The Little Book of Aliens. I want to hear more about that. We'll definitely get to that. Last we spoke was a few years back when after Adam won the Carl Sagan Medal for Excellence in Public Communication. That's another thing that I'd, I, I, I'm dying to speak to you about because I think public communication today is both increasingly easier and harder. And you, my friend, is an, are an expert. And I, I'd, I'd love to, to hear your, your take on it. Thank you for sure. joining my program. My pleasure. So did you find astrophysics or did it find you? It found me early, really early on. I was uh, about five years old when I you know, went down to the, my dad's library. My dad was a writer and uh, he loved science fiction. And he had all these um, pulp science fiction magazines from like the 50s. And they all had these covers. They had these amazing, you know, the glossy covers with these like really outrageous paintings, uh, you know, or pictures of like bug eyed monsters and dudes and stuff. Space suits, and this was before even Apollo landed. You know, I'm 61 now, um, so that's where, and that was it. That was it. Like that was astronomy. That's where it started. I've never thought about doing anything else. You know, I never had the option to do anything else. It was this is the thing I had to do. So I've been really lucky. That's been my whole life doing it. So five. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Five. Wow. Yeah. To, to 61. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and I still love it. Have that's really cool. Is that like? Excuse me. Have you thought about how remarkable that is? Yeah, no, no, I know. I know. It's really, it's, it's right. It's rare that first of all, somebody knows what they want to do when they're five years old. Um, but also that, right. It worked out, you know, uh, I have lots of friends who are like artists and painters and musicians, you know, and that's a really hard gig to try and pull off. I was lucky that the thing I was in love with and had to do, there was at least some option. It was still highly competitive, but it was still, you know, there was, it was less competitive, you know, relative to wanting to be a musician. So. So as you're seeing these magazine covers, what was your conception of what space was? Well, it was just like endless, amazing possibilities. The one that really I remember, there were two that I still I can see in my mind's eye now. One was this, you know, bunch of dudes on a like in these like Michelin tire man spacesuits, right? Because nobody knew what a spacesuit <laughs> was gonna look like back then. On like these really sharp cliffs, like on the moon or Mercury or something, you know. And just that vista across this airless alien world, you know, that just seems so exciting, man, explore, exploration. And then the other one was a bunch of guys like on a, on a rocket, like, to, you know, doing a spacewalk with the flames coming out of the, you know, the exhaust. And one of the guys had fallen into the uh, the exhaust and he's getting like incinerated. And both of those, I don't know, man, they made a wow. huge impression on me. So it was the idea of exploration. It was the idea that like, you know, nobody knows what's out there. And yeah, and we're but we're going to go find out. And so that is probably what captured my imagination more than anything was just the endless possibilities of space. That 
kind of that that skips ahead to one of the things I want to want to bring up with you is you know mm-hmm. the endless possibilities of space. We have sort of slowed down our progress in terms of exploring it, at least with humans. Right. I know we've sent we sent drones out. We sent um, uh, rovers out and about. And I know there's been efforts. Uh, you know, like uh, I believe uh, 2030 was one date that 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 comes to mind off the top of my head. What do you make of our, uh, our our approach to space these days? Well, I mean, it's interesting. Uh, you know, certainly the human exploration of space, getting people out in space, uh, that stalled with the moon, right? I mean, we still we've had lots of people in low Earth orbit. We've done lots of things, you know. Um, but in terms of like, you know, like we should have been on, we should have had a moon base already. We should have been on Mars already. But you know, the robot exploration of space has exploded. I mean, exponentially, like the things you know, that those robots have shown us from, you know, all these things rolling around on, you know, Mars is a planet entirely inhabited by robots right now. And there's a bunch of robots <laughs> um, to sending things to, you know, the outer solar system, like uh, uh, Jupiter and, and Saturn, where we've learned that there are moons or, you know, there are moons orbiting those, uh, those giant, the gas giants that have deep oceans that, you know, they're, they, they are, they have hundred mile deep oceans. You know, the, the, the earth's ocean is only six miles deep. So these moons out there have more water than earth's oceans and who knows what's in there, right? What's going on? So on one hand, yeah, right. Human beings haven't gotten very far, but, but our proxies, right? The, the, the machines that we build have gotten very far. And then of course the Hubble space telescope, now the James Webb space telescope. So, you know, our exploration of the universe has just undergone an exponential increase and we've learned incredible things. Human beings, that's another story because, you know, it's so expensive. It's so expensive to build a tin can that human beings can like live in and, you know, and and then you got to get them back, right? Um, So that stalled, I think, for a bunch of reasons. But what's interesting now is with the commercial, the, um, you know, SpaceX and Blue Origin, all these other ones, I think that's starting to ramp up again. And so my hope is that, you know, in really uh, 50 years, 100 years, 200 years, there's going to be, I think there's really a possibility that we'll we'll have millions of people, hundreds of millions of people living and working in space. So you think it'll take that long? 50 years? Well, for that kind of, for, well, for those kind of numbers, right? I'm talking, I'm, you know, when I'm saying 50 to 100 years, I'm talking like, you know, lots and lots of people living in space. I think we'll, I think there's a good chance we'll get to Mars in the next 10, 20 years, 20 years for sure. Um, So, you know, because of things like SpaceX, because of the commercial, you know, as much as I'm going to say this straight out, I am not a big fan of Elon Musk. You know, I'm just, because, you know, you can't talk about SpaceX without talking about the problematic issues of this dude who runs it. But, you know, the thing about SpaceX, as many people will point out, is that, listen, and I give him mad props for what he's done, both for Tesla and SpaceX. But, you know, the company is not, you know, the company is these engineers who are doing amazing things. But what SpaceX really did in Blue Origin, and there's a bunch of other companies, is they're bringing the price down. They're just being so innovative about how to get into space um, that I have really a lot of hopes that, you know, it's that, that we're on the frontiers now of really being able to start taking advantage of, of space in a way that we didn't before. And, you know, you got to have, you got to have a, an economy out there. People, you know, if it's just governments doing it because they want to show that the other country that they're, you know, currently competing with stinks, that's not going to get us very far. You've got to have, there's got to be money to be made. There's got to be livelihoods to be, you know, to be had out there. And that's why you need the commercial part of, uh, of 
um, expansion in space. And that's happening now. So I'm pretty excited about that. What's your gripe with Elon? Is it the political stuff or the sort of endless um, faucet of government money that he, he, he seems to get access to? Yeah, no, it's more the political stuff. It's just like I, the guy's not helping, you know, in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, I, you know, you, uh, I do a lot of science communication, right? And so mm -hmm. I ha and I do a lot on climate, right? I've been, you mm -hmm. know, so there's a whole story about, you know, me and climate um, because it was like my first job when I was an under, you know, actually in the year and a half I took between undergraduate and graduate work. So um, and I've done a lot of work on, you know, public communications around climate. You know, and I, the climate denial stuff really drives me bananas. And he's not, you know, I mean, even though he's, he's great with climate, all the other stuff, you know, he's just, he's really becoming a purveyor of, of, you know, of falsehoods over the internet, which is like, oh, we need another person doing that. And he should know better. He does know better. So I, I don't know what the dude's problem is, but he's not helping as far as I'm concerned on those, those issues. Fascinating. I mean, I, I, I guess I get, from your answer and, and if you if you uh if you need to clarify clarify do you think he if he knows better and he's doing it he's doing it for attention is what i would presume yeah it's kind of like you know the thing that we've seen with him and we don't need to go too much into this but it's, it's like fair enough. he's he, he's like uh he's like you know one of these guys who's yeah he's just high on the attention like he's just somebody who'd like you know here's the thing the dude's just not very mature you know what i mean like he's got this now world girdling responsibility like you get to that level and you know you gotta you gotta think really carefully about what comes out of your mouth but he's like a kid he's like a teenager you know he's just like a teenager who can't shut his mouth um and so that's what really kind of bums me out about him okay i it just on on space exploration i'm thinking of, of young adam frank <laughs> you're looking at these books are you thinking about going there? Oh, yeah. Are you kidding me? Totally. I would have gone in a second. Um, I'd still go in a second. My wife probably wouldn't be happy. But, yeah, man, I'd be like, you know, yeah. I mean, for sure. Send me. I'm ready to go. Do you think you'll make it? Uh, it depends. You know, first of all, if the price is that the way, I don't think I'm going to be going. But, um, you know. Like, you know, Shatner went up at 90. So, you know, uh, that's 30 years from now. By 30 years, I can imagine the prices have come down to the point where, you know, I could, if I'm, I mean, who knows, I'll be around on that. But, you know, maybe in 20 years, the prices will come down that it would be an expensive vacation. Um, I would totally go into orbit. I'd go to Mars. I'd die on Mars. Who cares? I'd be on Mars. What a great place to die, you know? Uh, this was one, I, I asked a couple people what for uh, questions for you, and one came up about this. Uh, what are the top five planets you'd like to visit? Oh, oh, wow. Uh, well, does this include exoplanets? Because, you know, I'm going to sure. be honest. Like, the solar system, you know, solar system is okay. But we kind of... Really? Solar system, you, you're, well, the solar... You're down weird. on our we solar system? I'm not down on it. I'm just saying, like, you know, it could have could have worked out better. That's all. You know, I'm just, you know, kind of complaining a little bit. Because here's the... I mean, and this is a really interesting scientific point, which is that... We've got uh, eight planets. Don't start with me about Pluto, okay? It's not a planet, okay? <laughs> but we got eight planets, and we've got um, uh, three of them that were that could have been habitable, right? That could have been a good place for life. And it turns out only Earth is like Mars right now. Now Mars, four billion years ago, Mars 
was a wet world. Mars was a blue world back then. Venus may also have been even maybe, you know, 500, like when the dinosaurs were around, it's possible that Venus was also an ocean world and was temperate. But right now they st- they suck. You know, they're just terrible places for life. Mars is a frozen, dry hellscape. Um, uh, Venus is 700 degrees and you could crush a nuclear submarine on the surface. So, you know, I can imagine other solar system where there's like, could you imagine if there were like three habitable planets? We're like, okay, you know, you're born on Earth, Earth's got life, but you look over at Mars and Mars has got like a rich atmosphere, enough that you could just like, like walk around on the surface, maybe with just like a breathing mask or something, you know? Um, and then, and Venus was also, so it's just like, that's why I'm down on it, but still solar system's great. I'm not, you know, I'm not, this is my home planet or my home solar system too much, but there's other ones. The thing is what we've learned now we've learned like when I was coming up, we didn't know whether there were any other planets in the universe other than the eight in our solar system. Right. It could be that we could, we thought that maybe planets were really rare. Maybe it was really, really hard to make a planet. Now we know for sure, this is the revolution that has happened in my lifetime. Now we know for sure that every planet in the sky that you see in the sky, I'm not sorry, every star you see in the sky when you look up at night has planets, you know, pretty much, pretty much. Um, and most of them have families of, of, of planets. So there's planets everywhere. And we've already discovered some that are in what we call the habitable zone, the, the, the band of orbits around their star where you can have liquid water on the surface. And we think liquid water is the key to, you know, forming life. So I'd like to go to some of those, you know, Trappist 1E, I think it is. This is like, I think the fourth A, B, C, D, E. No, it's the fifth planet from the star Trappist 1, which is a star we've discovered. Um, And we've discovered a whole, like seven planets. And the fifth one looks like it's really in a good place for life. So I would love to go there. So that's, that's one. Okay, so, all right, Mars for sure. Um, Trappist one. Um, I really would like to go to the moons of those, those, uh, the, the water moons of, um, in our solar system. So that would be, uh, Enceladus, which is a moon of, um, Saturn and, um, Europa, which is a big moon of, um, of, uh, of, uh, Jupiter. Um, and then I still need five. So, um, yeah, which ones can I go? Can I take a fictional one? <laughs> no, I sure, would want to go sure. to one of the. I, uh, I would want to go to Trantor, the the Ecumenopolis, which is the city world of um uh, of uh, Asimov's Foundation series. Okay, it's the it's a world covered in a forty mile deep city. The entire planet is. It's a really it was a beautiful idea in uh and the the, the show. Eh, I'm not really that happy about the show. It's on Apple the adaptation, but the visuals are cool. Okay. So there's my five. All right. Wow. Thank you. I, that I, was a great I, question. I, I like that. <laughs> I didn't expect you to come up with five. I, I thought I, I was a little bit, you know, all right. I, I know who I'm, I, I'm messing with here, you know? Uh, um. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we're doing fictional planets, there's Arrakis, the Dune world, right? There's Coruscant, okay. which is the city world of, um, of Star Wars. There's of course uh Tatooine, which is you know the the Luke Skywalker world. Is that um, the two yeah, moon brought... the two yeah. sun oh, or... two stars, two stars. Two yeah. star. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good one. So I could probably come up with some more because I love science fiction, man. I'm a huge I'm a I'm a fanboy big time. Yeah, and for those who are only listening to this, th- those you're you're missing out on Adam's visual because in his background is the set of the original Star Trek 
and it's it's pretty it's a pretty strong you know like your your, your green screen background works very very <laughs> well i think <laughs> yeah it's the old school one because it's so like it was so small. You look at you know all the all the Star Trek now. You know that that the, the, the uh, bridge is really big, but you can see how small. Like they didn't have a whole lot of money to work with when they were building that first one. I, I, that kind of uh, inspires a different different idea. That kind of ties to something I, I brought up earlier. Space travel in sci-fi. Do you think sci-fi has helped space travel? Oh yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, it's amazing. It's not because you know one of the fields I work on, which I'm sure we'll get to, is now I'm I'm I work in te- what we call techno signatures, which is what people used to call SETI, right? So, uh, mm-hmm. um, looking for evidence. I, I work also in what's called biosignatures. You know, looking for evidence of life uh, mm-hmm. on other worlds. Biosignatures, if it's just like you know a biosphere, just you know microbes and forests. Techno signatures are signatures of a world that has a technosphere. Is that you've got a lot of mm-hmm. you know a lot of technology happening. Um, and so uh, I think the um, the the science fiction has played a huge role in sort of mapping out the possibilities. At least for me, I mean, some of my best, some of the ideas that you know I've gotten the most attention for in my writing, in my scientific work, have come from reading science fiction. People like Kim Stanley Robinson, who writes a lot about the, the settlement of the solar system, Alistair Reynolds, who does you know, this great stuff on the on you know sort of next 500 years and settling you know nearby worlds so i really rely on science fiction a lot and then other i think those ideas have just they've become part it's a really interesting thing they've become part of the popular consciousness you know when you look at cell phones right cell phones come directly from the communicators in star trek that was where the idea came from in some sense for cell phones and the way they look and how they how they work really yeah yeah do you remember the razor phone the, the, yeah. the one that opened up the flip the phone it's yeah. uh, you know, I know the, the engineers were explicit. They were like, "Oh yeah, we wanted to make a Star Trek communicator." Wow, yeah, I, 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 yeah. I, I had no idea. I, I hadn't yeah. heard that one before. It makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it did kind of look like it. Uh, obviously, it didn't right. have the you know the the uh, uh, all the capabilities of you know like firing a, a, a laser yeah. across the room, but yeah, but but wow, uh, but you were you're absolutely right. I I I definitely wanted to to talk to, about you and aliens a bit. Um, obviously, SETI. Uh, uh, for those who don't know, is search for extraterrestrial intelligence. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I, I reread an article you wrote in the New York Times a few years ago, and I wanted uh, wanted uh, it was of how basic essentially the point was what you saw with ufos didn't impress you yeah it, yeah not not a huge fan and essentially we needed to aim higher essentially when we were are like looking for life in the universe uh, it, it, uh, is that an app summary yeah i mean so you know this is the thing we can unpack a lot because there's the ufo uap on one hand and all that stuff mm-hmm. and then there's you know, the main point I was making in that article, and in the, which is the subject of my new book, The Little Book of Aliens, is that what people got to understand is like, we are on the precipice, like, you know, of we can now look for life, you know, do the scientific search uh, for life on alien planets, on planets that are 10, 20 light years away, right? Which we've never had the ability to do before. 
this question about, is there life on other worlds? Are we the only life in the whole universe? Is as old, it's, it goes back, you can, it goes back at least 2,500 years. Because you can see the Greeks arguing with each other, the Hellenistic Greeks arguing about it. So, you know, all during that time, every generation, somebody's yelling at each other about what is their life in the universe. Um, but it's always been opinions. It's like your opinions, man. That's just your opinion, dude. Um, and now, finally, because of the, the, the advances, the scientific advances, we finally have the ability to answer that question for ourselves. We're going to get data. In the next 10, 20 years, we're going to start having data relevant to that question, which has never happened before, right? And so that's a, you know, we may very well be the last generation that doesn't know the answer to the question, are we alone, right? Wow. So that's what I was trying to say. I was trying to say, like, look, people, forget the UFO stuff is a mess. It's always been a mess. And, you know, we can address that more and why it's a mess. Um, but, you know, I want people to understand that the real scientific search, you know, not the conspiracy theories and the, oh, this guy said that that guy knew that this guy said that that guy knew, you know, that the scientific search is about to explode, you know, and that, and that this thing is happening. And if people are interested, they got to be ready because, you know, one of these days, my colleagues and I, or somebody else is going to say, Oh my God, we found it. We found evidence for city lights on a planet that's 20 light years away, right? And the reason why this is important is that, you know, if you want to find Nebraskans, you're like, I got to go find some people from Nebraska, right? Are you going to go look in a, a, a small town or a little village in the Himalayas, right? No, there's no Nebraskans there, right? You go mm -hmm. to Nebraska to find Nebraskans. And that's the situation with life in the universe. Like the earth, you know, people have to understand how big the galaxy is. The Earth is not a very important planet. It's a backwater planet in a backwater corner of, of the galaxy. Like, you know, what what are these aliens doing here, right? The place you want to look for aliens is on the worlds they come from, on alien worlds, right? Because mm -hmm. uh, we don't even know if interstellar travel is, is possible. It's, it's you know, mm -hmm. traveling between the stars, the distances between the stars are so vast that it just may not be physically possible to travel between them. So, you know, where you want to look, if you really want to know, not just you want to believe, if you really want to know, the place to look for aliens is on alien planets, and we can do that now. Or we're just starting to do that. And that's the most exciting thing. This is the most exciting possibility that human beings have ever had. I could go a million different directions from that <laughs> statement. Wherever you want to go. <laughs> I had some pre-planned directions to go but I, I i must ask about interstellar travel because it is a fascinating question is it the uh, lack of technology is it that it's difficult to envision even or are we just not there do we just not have the breakthrough yet well so here's the deal so the distance between the stars it's just they're so they're so far apart it really, like, you got to work to, like, get your head. You, like, it'll really make your head spin if you try and do it. Like, the solar system is big, right? So, you know, the uh, the the fastest thing we've ever sent was this New Horizons probe. The fastest vehicle we ever made was this thing that went to Pluto, right? And it was going, I think, at, like, 3,600 miles per hour. Um, or it might even have been, per, no, it must have been per hour, yeah. So, um, or so, so, sorry, 36,000 miles per hour. Uh, and it took 10 years to get to the edge of the solar system, right? And the solar system is basically our neighborhood. It's our little team. It's our block. You know what I'm saying? And so what we need to do is we need to get to like the equivalent of, you know, of China, 
right? Because that's how far away the stars are. Um, and so using the technology, if you were traveling at New Horizon speed, it would take you 100,000 years to get to the closest star that there is, the closest. Wow. Star, right. And so, and you know, really what you want to get to is not the closest one. You want to be able to get to ones that are like 10 times farther away because the galaxy's huge, right? You know, um, so even that closest star is still just like the, you know, tiny little bit of the galaxy. So there's that problem, right? But then also there's a, there's a speed limit. The, nothing can travel faster than the speed of light. That's just built into the universe. That's like, there's no way around that. Um, so, you know, either you figure out some new kind of physics that we don't know about, like that you'd have to imagine a kind of physics miracle that would allow you to somehow circumvent that. Um, and you can write a science fiction story about that, but you can't write a scientific paper about it because we don't know how to do it. Um, and so, you know, that also then limits you because that means the nearest star is four light years away. So even if you could get up like right below light speed, it would take you four years to get there um, and then four years to get back. So even like, so whatever, that, that we can talk about interstellar communications. But so it's just, it's it's my, it, it may just not be physically possible. It require if it is physically possible, it requires a kind of physics that we don't have. And that's certainly possible that, you know, we, we don't know all the physics there is. But, you know, this light speed limit is, baked into it's pretty hardly it's a hard it's baked into you know structure reality so it would require a lot to be able to get around that so is it possible like you mentioned interstellar communication i was thinking more well we have more is that in part why why the focus on sending machines in outer space they have less of a of, of limits you know, like yeah. uh, the, you could conceivably send a machine for however long it takes to get there without the limits of human kind, as long as you have the the energy, uh, the, right. the power, the, the vessel, um, barring, yeah, you know, sure. you, some breakthrough that we don't know. Right. 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 So that's what you could do. Right. So you could send a robot, you know, of course, the robot, you know, and at so like even getting to a tenth of the speed of light would be a, you know, like that's physically conceivable. Like, you know, we could imagine doing that with like maybe super powered lasers pushing light sails. Um, uh, so you could do that. And then it would take 40 years to get to, you know, the the nearest star. Um, so that's totally conceivable. The problem is, and it's not a problem. It's just, you know, uh, it's 40 years. It's 40 years for it to get there. <laughs> You know, and then, you know, if you have, you have, then you have to figure out how to stop and then come back. It would be, it's an 80 year round trip. So, you know, you need a civilization or something that's got very long lifetimes and very long for that kind of thing to, to make sense. So, um, so, it, you know, it, if you have enough time, you can definitely, but again, that's the nearest, like if you're talking, we were talking about a star that was 10 light years away, which, you know, again, the galaxy is a hundred thousand light years across. So, if you want to get to a star that was 10 light years away, it would take a, at a 10th of a speed of light, it would take a hundred years to get there and then a hundred years to get back. So now you're talking about species that are very long lived, you know, um, to just be able to, you know, make it worth their while. Right. In terms of like, even if you're sending robots, you want to hear back from them. Right. And you're going to have to wait literally, you know, a couple of centuries to hear back from them, or at least a century, at least wow. a century to hear back from them. I want to combine this with your the earlier thoughts that we were talking about science fiction. What do you think of Interstellar? 
Uh, you know, I love Christopher Nolan as a director. Like uh, Memento was a great movie, and you know, and um, uh, 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 what was it? The Dream One, um, Inception, amazing yeah. movie. I was not. I mean, I thought there were cool parts about it, but you know, I don't know for script reasons. I, I mean, I love the representation of the science, but for a movie that was supposed to be like you know hardcore science, when who was it? Um, I forgot the main, the one of the main characters. Uh, was it McConaughey? No, no, um, oh, Anne Hathaway. Oh, she's like, love Anne Hathaway. Is... Yeah. And yeah, yeah, right. And love is a force in the universe. I just, the script kind of bummed me out. I just thought like, I mean, I liked it, but it was, it's not my favorite science fiction movie by, by any stretch of the imagination, which kind of bummed me out because I love him so much. The director, Nola. Is there one that is more realistic, especially when it comes to things like travel? Yes. The, um, I'm pounding the table here because I'm going to get my hobby horse. The Expanse. Everybody needs to watch oh. The Expanse. It's a six-season series on um, on uh, uh, Amazon. It is based on a nine-book series that is fantastic. And if you want to know what a settled solar system looks like, takes you know that's the series, both the books and the. Um, it is so great. And it's a little slow going. It's like The Wire. You know, it takes a while to get into, but once you get going, you got these amazing characters and you got this amazing story. And it's really, it is so scientifically realistic. Um, it's amazing. I just, I guess, you know, uh, I am, I am such a fan of that show and I've done so much. I've talked, I've written about it so much that one time, I think for season three, they actually hired me to like do a promo spot for them because I'm wow. so, <laughs> so into it, but I love that show. And it's, it's just, it takes place about 300 years in the future. And there's our literally, you know, Mars is a, Mars is fully settled. It's a, it's a political power because it's also about the power dynamics of a settled solar system. So earth is a power. Mars is a power. The, uh, the outer planets and the asteroid belt is kind of like the, you know, where the, the, you know, um, the exploited, uh, resource workers are they're mining the mm -hmm. asteroid belt and so it's just got great politics and then into it comes this kind of alien life form that kind of messes with the whole power dynamic i don't know i love it love it this takes this veers us off course but this is but i i, I have to ask because i am a, a wire lover are you uh, in the club Oh, I, I think I would say The Wire is the greatest show. It's funny because uh, my wife and I were just arguing about this. We just recently watched Succession, which I thought was great. Mm -hmm. And I was like, top five. And then it was like, okay, what? And my wife's like, nah, good, but not top five. Um, but uh, The Wire is number one, I think, without a doubt. It's just such an extraordinary show. I think it's probably number one for me as well. Yeah. I don't know that I would put Succession in my top five. I, I finished it like, you know, a lot of, lot of us did a few months ago. I would, I'd say top 10, maybe. Okay, or, or top even 10, maybe 15. top 10, yeah. Like, like yeah, okay. uh, it's an excellent show. Um, I don't know that I, it, are, it didn't. What's top five then? What's top five for you? Uh, I, Game of Thrones is certainly in this list. I, I, I think it is, there are so many memorable moments. There are episodes yeah. that are, are, are much like The Wire, where I would yeah. say, wow, this is among the greatest things I've ever yeah. seen done on television. Yeah. Red wedding. Yeah. Being one of them. And I think of Jon yeah. Snow being just submerged in chaos and fighting oh. his way out of it as impossible as it was. It was like, um, it was amazing. It was it amazing. Felt great. Battle of the bastards. Great episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I also think even just watching Ned Stark's head, <laughs> was 
I, I uh, didn't think it was I possible. I know, it I did. know. You're like, what? You can't do that. You can't yeah. kill them. Yeah, right. No. Yeah. It, it just broke all, all right, the so rules. Number two. So that's two. So wire number one, uh, except the ending. I was very, I was kind of bummed. I mean, the last, oh, the last of season the... wandered and of of Game of Thrones. Of Game of Thrones. Okay. No, the wire nailed it. I thought that's one of the reasons I really loved Succession because nailing the ending is very hard. For you have a show that's multiple seasons. That's an art form in itself. And I thought that one reason I put, I might put, you know, Succession into top ten or top five is because of that ending. But um. The Game of Thrones, uh, the ending, I was like, eh. Like, okay. See, this, this is where I quibble with you. The, the Wire, obviously, is a weak season, was season five. And I say this as a journalist who's worked in several newsrooms. And <laughs> as sort of a guy who, who, who watches TV obsessively, I felt that they had too many threads that they had to mm, wrap up. Mm. They didn't have enough time to 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 fully bake some of the characters, especially in the newsroom. Newsrooms are full of interesting characters, uh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. That's and interesting. I thought some of the some of the skeletons they had were great, but yeah. I, I I didn't care about them. Yeah, I cared about yeah. every other tier of life in Baltimore they presented. Yeah, I think season two gets a bad rap. I cared about the Sabatkas. I agree. I agree. Season two does get a bad. Season two was great just for showing the dockyards and everything that's going on there, man. It was, yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I don't know why people don't like season two. I really liked it. But Gus and Scott and all those cats in the newsroom, I just, mm-hmm. even as a news person. Yeah, just, interesting. They felt kind of not fully realized, mm-hmm. at least to me. Okay. All right, no, but, I'll, I'll hear that. But I, I think the finale was maybe one of the best finales I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. It was just yeah. beautiful. Tying it up. That's the thing. That's what that, you know, that's what a finale. So Mad Men is also on my top list. And that sure. ending of Mad Men, I thought was like, because you, know, you gotta you got you can't just like go off. You can't be, oh, it was a dream, you know, or something stupid like that. You gotta, it's gotta be coherent. And the ending of Mad Men was also was exactly with Don Draper's character or where Don Draper's character could have gone. So, you know, whatever. I don't know. We're going through. Well, I, I, I don't know that I had Mad Men in my five because I didn't enjoy the process of watching the show as much as mm. others. Mm. I thought it was excellent. I put it in my 10 pretty easily, if we're, yeah, especially if we're yeah. talking drama. Um, and it's yeah, interesting that yeah. we've, we've only mentioned dramas here. Very interesting. But um, <laughs> but I I I I I would not. I, I'd have it either on the, on the cusp because it's an excellent. Yeah. The performances are are amazing, and I think Incredible. you could argue that and the art direction. They're so they're so in love with the New York of that era. That absolutely, you know, it's just yeah, and it just right too. You know, like you if you see photos from that era and you yeah. see those sets. Yeah. Yeah, it is like, wow, you know, yeah. absolutely. Uh, certainly, and the cinematography. So there would just, there would just be these scenes of like, I just remember one of, you know, it's like nighttime, and Draper's sitting in his office, and the camera's panning back, and it's the window, the full window with you know the Manhattan skyline behind, mm-hmm. and it was just like, oh my god, that's just like that shot alone is just beautiful on its own. Just as a, it's a painting, you know, every shot of painting, you know, it's just like, yeah. Another excellent element of that show. And one that so many shows fail at, but it mastered. It knew when to slow down. Yeah, yeah, that's true. 
I agree with that. I really agree with that. Right. The pacing was pretty interesting. Yeah. And I, I just, in, just truly enjoyed it. Um, uh, uh, if I were to go on my list, I, 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 I still defend Seinfeld to this day. I do think it is a top five <laughs> show, not just television. No, no, show, that's I true. Think. Yeah, okay. Because I, I was, I was really thinking about these prestige. So I'm not including comedies. I'm not including okay. even science fiction. You know, I'm, I'm just thinking if, like those prestige television. Well, if I went prestige, you got to go Breaking Bad, which um, I never saw. I never saw. I know everybody says. Oh, come on. Yeah. I know. Well, my wife won't watch it. There are many murders, and then there's like seven seasons, so I'm not gonna be able to get through seven seasons by myself. But it's it's another performance. The performances are are just. It is when I when I retire. Yeah, I, which is something I wanted to mention, but I I also want to get more into aliens and UAPs since you wrote a book about it. Right. So right. I'll I'll Coming allow out, you to October twenty eighth. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll allow you to make the choice. We, we could go deeper into aliens, or we could talk your next steps. Uh, uh let's talk about aliens, and then if there's room for next steps, we'll do that. So the the book <laughs> is about um you know what I'm trying to do you know because like this is the moment right like this is really the moment mm-hmm. when that's what I was trying to say when something's going to happen like we are we are at the the scientific search for um for life in the universe is is about to explode right um and i want people to understand what's going on so there's like the whole book is like 50 really short chapters it's a short it's a little book you know it's just like little chapters that give you everything you need to know about what's going on so like the classic stuff what you know there's the drake equation which is yeah we could go into that there's the fermi part there's all these things that like you know, have been around for a long time in terms of thinking about aliens and alien life. And then there's the new stuff, which is with the discovery of these exoplanets. What is an exoplanet? How are we going to find life on these exoplanets? So I'm unpacking all that stuff. I then I go into like, start, I speculate about like, okay, what are we going to find when we find aliens? Will it be carbon based? Uh, Will alien minds be anything like ours? Um, You know, uh, will aliens have sex? You know? (laughs) <laughs> and hmm. so what kind of sense? you know which is really i'm more asking about evolution how evolution well, might play out on yeah those are three very interesting questions okay if they're not yeah. carbon based i mean is it is it um uh, i guess it would be like gasish well still i mean the thing is there's really it's probably going to be carbon based and that's why i go through why it's carbon based there's a reason why we're made we're made of carbon right um the next one and so i go through it's all about the um the structure of Carbon is really good at making bonds, chemical bonds, really fast, uh, and it'll bond with anybody. You know, it's the molecule of love. Um, but like uh, other molecules, just don't have that capacity. The next one down that would have similar capabilities is silicon, which is why you often hear people talk about silicon-based life. Um, and that's possible, but silicon has got problems. Silicon is not nearly as flexible as uh, as mo- as carbon is in terms of making bonds. Silicon doesn't work very well in water which means that like any kind of waste, you know, like life has to like digest and then process waste. And if you don't, can't do it with like mushy stuff, I'm not going to go into detail here, then how does it work? So there's lots of reasons why carbon is probably the, the, uh, the choice, the molecule of choice, or sorry, the atom of choice for building biochemistries. Um, so yeah, so I cover all that stuff in the book. And then also I have a bunch of sections about a third of the book is about what's going on with UFOs. So I do the history of UFOs and like, uh, mm-hmm. which for me as a scientist, the history is a mess. Like, like Roswell, what a, you know, I, I, 
you know, I'm not sure. Can I use vulgarity on this show? Sure, go for it. Go it's for a it. shit show. It is an endless shit show of conspiracy theories and like, you know, somebody heard from somebody else who heard from somebody else that there was a UFO there or there's the saucer crashed. And it's like, oh, that's evidence. It's like that evidence. It's somebody said something. So it's just, and yet it never died. And there was this, you know, there's been one hoax after the other associated with this stuff. And then the hoaxes never die. You can like show people that, you know, these UFO true believers, you can show them that it's a hoax. Like, look, here's the plastic alien they took the picture of. And they're like, oh, no, 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 that's not what happened. So, um, you know, there's a reason why scientists have stayed away from that. Who wants to get involved in like some kind of like, you know, mess like that? But, you know, obviously what's happened with the um, the the Navy, those Navy videos, mm-hmm. that's yes. what opened up, you know, a whole range of other possibilities. And so I try and go through that. I try and go through like what's going on now, what changed. Uh, it did anything change? I think that's really a question. Or is it just mm-hmm. like the media is more willing to talk about it now? Uh, and if you want to have a real scientific uh, exploration of UAP slash UFOs, that doesn't assume the answer, right? Science doesn't work where you're like, hey, man, UFOs are aliens. Go prove it. It's like that's not the way science works. Science goes and, you know, you have to be uh, agnostic. You start an investigation agnostic. And you're going to be like, okay, I'm going to go wherever the data will lead. So I, I talk about how, um, what a scientific search for aliens would look like. And then I have a whole bunch of sections about like, okay, if, it, if UFOs really were piloted by aliens, what does that mean in terms of like technologies that they would have, you know, and, um, and capabilities? Because, you know, it's not enough to just say, oh, they've got more advanced science. It's like, we know enough about science that if you want to say, oh, they've got more advanced science, that advanced science still has to fit with the science we already know. So, you know, there's constraints. You can't, you know, aliens are not going to be, if, if aliens exist, alien civilizations, they're not magic, you know? They're still going to be working on principles of physics and biology. And even if it's physics and biology we don't know about yet, we can extract, we can extrapolate from what we do know. So that's what the, the book is, this tour of all of these different kinds of questions. I, I want to take a couple steps back in, in, your, sure. in your conversation there. As you mentioned, there's been an increasing amount of mainstream attention on on these crafts, the Navy uh, uh, um, videos, uh, uh, Commander David Fravor for being one who's come out and, yeah. and done, yeah. he was on 60 Minutes um, and the New York Times has written about it, the Washington Post, you know, we're talking mainstream outlets at the same time you got the Senate. I mean, even even back when I was I was still at WXXI, I, I Kirsten Gillibrand had just announced that she was getting into this and going to challenge about it. So we had a conversation about it. And her point of view, from what I recall from our conversation, was that we don't know what the hell these things are. And we it it would be wrong for us to not try to find out what they are. So based on what you've seen and what you've heard, what do you think these things that they're seeing, these UAPs are? Any sense of it? Well, I so I totally agree with the idea of, you know, a to- what we need is a totally transparent, you know, scientific search or scientific investigation of this. I'm totally on board with that. It's, I'm not like saying like anything that has to do with UFOs. Oh, it's all nuts and we should just not pay attention to it. Um, and that's starting like, you know, so NASA has this NASA convened a panel, which had its first mm-hmm. meeting. It was very interesting. That was just like a month ago. 
Um, so I'll tell you, so if you want to ask me, what do I think they are? You know, all right, let's unpack that a little bit, right? Because at this point I say, mm -hmm. I, I don't know, right? There's no, you know, we don't really have any okay. data, but we have our bunch of fuzzy pictures. You know, we've got, you know, we don't really get the radar data. It was sometimes things are seen on radar. Sometimes things aren't seen on radar. Um, uh, but so one, I'll just give you one interesting thing. When I was writing that New York Times article, I decided to, you know, I started digging around. I started doing my reading and I came across the, the, the literature, the people like in the blog posts of people who worked in for the CIA, for the military, who doing signals intelligence, SIGINT. And then there's also electronic signals intelligence, e-SIGINT. And when you read that stuff, none of those guys were talking about aliens. They were talking about how, about drones. They were talking about how easy it is to use simple drones, you know, uh, to spoof pilots and get them to turn on their super complicated electronic, you know, uh, uh, um, eavesdropping, you know, whatever, their radar, their suites of radar and, and, and et cetera. So that then you can then soak up all that radiation and figure out exactly what's what the, the, the capabilities of that is. And the United States even did this. We've done, and you know, people have done this to us. We've done this to others. In the late 1950s, there was this, Russia built this giant radar facility. Uh, and we didn't really know what it could do. So what we did is we spoofed it. We, we, we you know, we got a, we managed to figure out how to make it respond as if there was a signal there. There wasn't really a signal there. So that they turn it on and crank it up all the way. And that's how we figured out what it was capable of. So, you know, I think what I, I'm, if I had to guess, you know, if I had to like, you know, you know, based on what has happened in the past, most of these, most of the ones, obviously the ones, the, the Navy stuff is going to end up being, you know, uh, as this is a new term I learned, peer state adversaries. It's going to be peer state adversaries using even simple drone technologies to be able to, you know, to get to get us to see what's going on. Um, and hmm. so then, you know, people push back against that and they'll say like, oh, but that video shows that this thing is flying at impossible speeds, you know, hovering over the ocean. One of the best things about that NASA panel was they did an analysis. I think it's the, the, the Go Fast video. There's three of them. They each have names. The Go Fast video is the one that shows like the Tic Tac, like zooming over the ocean, right? You know? Um, and so they were able to use, you know, like really simple geometry to be able to figure out where that thing was and how fast it was going, right? And, you know, when I get into arguments, people, they're like, nothing could travel that fast, especially over. The Turns out uh, it was going 40 miles an hour, right? 40 miles an hour. Like I can go faster than that on my mountain bike going downhill without pedaling, right? So it just shows you that once you start bringing... So, and that's conclusive, right? You did the analysis that you're supposed to do, and that's what you come back with. Um, and so I think what that shows is if you do the transparent science, what you're going to find is, is that most of these things can be explained. Some fraction of a small fraction, like usually the NASA panel said they saw of what they looked at, maybe 6% were unexplained. But that, and, and some of that was because we didn't even have enough data to start an explanation. But some of them are going to be freaky deaky. Right. Some of them are going to be freaky deaky enough that you really want to put some work into it. So I think that's where we stand. It's worthwhile doing the study. I don't I personally don't think for a variety of reasons, I, you know, I would not bet. So let me put it that way. I would not bet that any of these have anything to do with uh, life outside the universe. But but we should be doing the full the the, the full study. And uh, you, we can learn more about this in the little book of aliens. It's out shortly. Uh, in October, October 23rd, I think, 24th. 
should know my own uh, update. Well, I want, uh, I know we, we're short on time here, but I, there's a couple more questions and they're sort of in the same sure. uh, a vein. Um, a little bit different from what we've spoken about so far, but I think I'd love to hear your take. This, this is a, okay. a, 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 a question from Claire. We can... I'll get the, 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 uh, the right phrasing right. The universe is expanding. To what? Yeah, and what's outside of great. it? Right. That's a great question. Okay. When we deal with, when we deal with questions of cosmology, you got to like, you got to get out of your kind of like three dimensional kind of mindset, right? Like as if I totally get the question, I, you know, um, you know, we like to think of like, oh, you know, the universe, like the universe was a ball and there was like nothingness around it. And the universe is expanding into that ball of nothingness. That's not really the way the theory, Einstein's theory of relativity works. Einstein's theory of relativity says there's this thing called space time and it is the actual fabric of reality. And you can use these equations to describe how that fabric of reality evolves. So here's the freaky deaky thing that comes out of if the universe is infinite then what it means is it was always infinite. It was born mm. infinite. The universe is not expanding into anything. It is expanding such that if you like, at the beginning of the universe, you took two points in space, you know, and labeled them, put like, you know, put a little you know dot of, of dye on one. Imagine like a big sheet of paper, an infinite sheet of paper. At the beginning of the universe, you take two dots of dye and put them close to each other. What happens when the universe is expanding is those dots of dyes are being carried away from each other. Space-time itself is expanding, um, so the dots of dye are being carried away from each other. But that's happening everywhere across the entire, you know, the, the universe began infinite. It was always infinite. And now what's happening is it's just that infinity is expanding. So there's there's more infinity, which is a weird concept, I know. But actually, that's the way the mathematics works. You can have more infinity. So there's nothing outside of it. There's nothing outside, right? So I, what Einstein gave us, the, the gift that Einstein gave us was this way of thinking about space-time where, there, you know, you don't have to think about inside and outside. Space-time is this fabric. It, it is the fabric of reality. There is nothing outside. You can't have an outside. Mind blown. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And, and at the same time, we've been able to see past the beginning of our universe, correct? No, no, no. We can't see. We can no? see past... No, no, we can we can only see when here's the freaky thing. When you look out, when you look into space and you look further and further out, you're actually looking further and further back in time. So we can only see back to about 300,000 years after when the cosmic expansion started, after what we call the Big Bang. So that's as far as we can see with light, you know? We we do get some 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 tracers, some other kinds of evidence from earlier than that, but we'll never be able to see. It's like a horizon. We'll never be able to see past the beginning because there's just no way because that's, yeah, that's the beginning. So there's, you know, that's as far, we're trying to trap. That's why you can almost think about like the universe is like a black hole. You can't see, you can't get out of it. You can't, you know, you're trapped inside the black hole. We're trapped inside the universe and it's with its, with its finite lifetime. Well, I, su I suppose, yeah, yeah, yeah. I suppose that makes sense, though, right? That that yeah. you wouldn't be able to see past the beginning, right? Right, right. right. 
Okay. So in, in, in cosmology, we have this idea of horizons. You know, like what's weird about the horizon is like you can't see past it, right? And as you move, your horizon moves with you, right? You know? So there's like cosmology has these horizons where you just can't see because of the physics of it. You can't see past. You can't see past the beginning, right? You know? Also, what can I just say? If you think that when I'm saying this, that like I totally get it. I'm just like walking around all day being like, oh, yeah, infinity, no problem. You know, me and other physicists have just as much problem like really imagining infinity as anybody else. <laughs> what we have is mathematics. Like the mathematics is the language which allows us to work with it. And through the language, we can see the consequences of certain, you know, certain assumptions, certain, you know, we can work with it. So the mathematics tells us what about like the expansion of the universe and everything. But when we try and like visualize it, like, you know, in our heads, like making a movie. Yeah, we have just as much problem as anybody else. And this is another uh, very big question in a, in, the, uh, in a short amount of time. About time, actually. Yeah. What do you make of it? We know that standardized time is only, it's relatively recent that, that time was standardized. What do you make of it? Well, what do you mean? I'm not sure what you mean by standardized time. You mean like clock time or? or yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, that was like my uh, my second book was all about that. It was called About Time. I was really interested in the ways, um, you know, I'm really interested. I'm so I'm a I'm a, 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 a Zen Buddhist. I've been doing Zen practice for 30 years, staring at a wall for 30 years. Um, and I'm really interested. I think the human experience of time is 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 on a deep level. That's what you get when you do any kind of contemplative practice is much more malleable and flexible and interesting and kind of infinitely deep than this clock time that we've been stuck with, right? Because we're all living in the 21st century. We've all got these, you know, computers in our uh, in our pockets and our, every day is broken up into these, you know, finite amounts like, oh, you got, you know, I got to go in five minutes, you know? Um, and that's, you know, for most of human history or human experience, that's not what it was like. And so we've kind of like, we've boxed ourselves in and we're kind of, like I think we've really denuded, you know, we've really stripped human experience in a way that uh, is a bummer because it's a much actually being human is much richer the possibilities than we get in the modern world because we've kind of like put ourselves into cages both in space and most of all in time. Well, any famous last words, Adam Frank? <laughs> Do your best and be kind to others. Adam, this has been a joy. I, I'd love to have you back and let's do an hour on Zen Buddhism. Sure, I'd love to. That'd be great. I really enjoyed this. Yeah, this is very fun. Adam Frank, thank you for joining us. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks for listening to all of the above. Let me know what you think wherever you're listening and do me a favor. Share it with a friend. You can follow my work at jamesbrowntv.substack.com. Paid subscribers get access to bonuses, including 10 the Hard Way, our members-only show. You can reach me at james at rochesteraccent.com or jamesbrowntv at gmail.com. You can also leave me a message at 585-484-0339. We might have you on the show. I'm James Brown, and as always, be well.